0: section fifteen of the french revolution volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the french revolution by thomas carlyle volume one book three chapter three the notables here then is verily a sign and wonder visible to the whole world bodeful of much the old de boeuf dolorously grumbles were we not well as we stood quenching conflagrations by oil Constitutional philosophedom starts with joyful surprise, stares eagerly what the result will be. The public creditor, the public debtor, the whole thinking and thoughtless public have their several surprises, joyful and sorrowful. Count Mirabeau, who has got his matrimonial and other lawsuits huddled up, better or worse, and works now in the dimmest element at Berlin, compiling Prussian monarchies, pamphlets on Cagliostro, writing with pay but not with honorable recognition, Innumerable despatches for his government, scents or descries richer quarry from afar, he, like an eagle or vulture, or a mixture of both, preens his wings for a flight homewards. Monsieur de Calonne has stretched out an errand's rod over France, miraculous, and is summoning quite unexpected things. Audacity and hope alternate in him with misgivings, though the sanguine, valiant side carries it. Anon he writes to an intimate friend, Je me fais pitié à moi meme. I am an object of pity to myself anon invites some dedicating poet or poetester to sing this assembly of the notables and the revolution that is preparing preparing indeed and a matter to be sung only not till we have seen it and what the issue of it is in deep obscure unrest all things have so long gone rocking and swaying will monsieur de calonne with this his alchemy of the notables fasten all together again and get new revenues or wrench all asunder so that it go no longer rocking and swaying but clashing and colliding be this as it may, in the bleak short days we behold men of weight and influence threading the great vortex of French locomotion, each on his several line, from all sides of France towards the Chateau of Versailles, summoned thither de par le roi, there on the 22nd day of February 1787 they have met, and got installed, notables to the number of a hundred and thirty-seven as we count them name by name, add seven princes of the blood it makes the round gross of notables, men of the sword, men of the robe, peers, dignified clergy, parliamentary presidents, divided into seven boards, bureaux, under our seven princes of the blood, Monsieur d'Artois, Pontievre, and the rest, among whom let not our new Duke d'Orleans, for since 1785 he is Chartres no longer, be forgotten, never yet made admiral, and now turning the corner of his fortieth year, with spoiled blood and prospects, half-weary of a world which is more than half-weary of him, Monsignor's future is most questionable not in illumination and insight, not even in conflagration, but, as was said, in dull smoke and ashes of outburnt sensualities does he live and digest, sumptuosity and sordidness, revenge, life-weariness, ambition, darkness, putrescence, and, say, in sterling money, three hundred thousand a year. Were this poor prince once to burst loose from his court moorings, to what regions, with what phenomena, might he not sail and drift? happily as yet he affects to hunt daily, sits there, since he must sit, presiding that bureau of his, with dull moon-visage, dull glassy eyes, as if it were a mere tedium to him. We observe, finally, that Count Mirabeau has actually arrived. He descends from Berlin, on the scene of action, glares into it with flashing sun-glance, discerns that it will do nothing for him. He had hoped that these notables might need a secretary. They do need one, but fixed on Dupont de Nemours, a man of smaller fame, but then of better. Who, indeed, as his friends often hear, labors under this complaint, surely not a universal one, of having five kings to correspond with. The pen of a Mirabeau cannot become an official one, nevertheless, it remains a pen. In defect of secretaryship, he sets to denouncing stock brokerage, denunciation de l'ajoutage, testifying, as his wont is, by loud brute, that he is present and busy till, warned by friend Talleyrand, and even by Callon himself underhand, that a seventeenth lettre de cachet may be launched against him, he timefully flits over the marches. And now in stately royal apartments, as pictures of that time still represent them, our hundred and forty-four notables sit organized, ready to hear and consider. Controller Calhoun is dreadfully behindhand with his speeches, his preparatives, however the men's facility of work is known to us. For freshness of style, lucidity, ingenuity, Largeness of view, that opening harangue of his was unsurpassable had not the subject matter been so appalling a deficit concerning which accounts vary, and the controller's own account is not unquestioned, but which all accounts agree in representing as enormous. This is the epitome of our controller's difficulties, and then his means mere turgoism, for thither it seems we must come at last provincial assemblies, new taxation, nay, strangest of all, new land tax, what he calls subvention territoriale. From which neither privileged nor unprivileged noblemen, clergy, nor parliamentiers shall be exempt. Foolish enough, these privileged classes have been used to tax, levying toll, tribute, and custom at all hands, while a penny was left but to be themselves taxed. Of such privileged persons, meanwhile, do these notables all but the merest fraction consist? Had Longueilon had given no heed to the composition or judicious packing of them, but chosen such notables as were really notable. Trusting for the issue to off-hand ingenuity, good fortune and eloquence that never yet failed. Headlong controller general, eloquence can do much, but not all. Orpheus, with eloquence grown rhythmic, musical, what we call poetry, drew iron tears from the cheek of Pluto, but by what witchery of rhyme or prose wilt thou from the pocket of Plutus draw gold? Accordingly, the storm that now rose and began to whistle round Calon, first in these seven bureaus, and then on the outside of them, awakened by them, spreading wider and wider over all France, threatens to become unappeasable, a deficit so enormous, mismanagement, profusion is too clear, peculation itself is hinted at, nay, Lafayette and others go so far as to speak it out, with attempts at proof. The blame of his deficit, our brave Calonne, as was natural, had endeavored to shift from himself on his predecessors, not accepting even Necker, but now Necker vehemently denies, whereupon an angry correspondence, which also finds its way into print. In the Eau de Boeuf, and Her Majesty's private apartments, an eloquent controller, with his Madame, if it is but difficult, had been persuasive, but, alas, the cause is now carried elsewhere. Behold him, one of these sad days in Monsieur's bureau, to which all the other bureaus have sent deputies. He is standing at bay, alone, exposed to an incessant fire of questions, interpolations, objurgations from those hundred and thirty-seven pieces of logic ordnance, what we may well call bouche à feu firemouths literally never according to bosonvel or hardly ever had such display of intellect dexterity coolness suasive eloquence been made by man to the raging play of so many firemouths he opposes nothing angrier than light beams self-possession and fatherly smiles with the imperturbablest bland clearness he for five hours long keeps answering the incessant volley of fiery captious questions reproachful interpellations, in words prompt as lightning, quiet as light. Nay, the cross-fire, too, such side-questions and incidental interpellations as in the heat of the main battle, he, having only one tongue, could not get answered. These also he takes up at the first slake. Answers even these. Could blandest suasive eloquence have saved France, she were saved. Heavy-laden controller. In the seven bureaus seems nothing but hindrance. In monsieur's bureau, alumini de brienne archbishop of toulouse with an eye himself to the controllership stirs up the clergy there are meetings underground intrigues neither from without anywhere comes sign of help or hope for the nation where mirabeau is now with stenter lungs denouncing agio the controller has hitherto done nothing or less for philosophedom he has done as good as nothing sent out some scientific la or the like and is he not in angry correspondence with its necker the very old de Boeuf looks questionable. A falling controller has no friends. Salad Monsieur de Virgin, who with his phlegmatic judicious punctuality might have kept down many things, died the very week before these sorrowful notables met, and now a seal-keeper, Garde des Saux-Miraminil, is thought to be playing the traitor, spinning plots for Lomini-Brienne. Queen's reader, Abbe de Vermont, unloved individual, was Brienne's creature, the work of his hands from the first. It may be feared the backstairs passage is open, ground getting mined under our feet. Treacherous garde des sceaux Miraminille, at least, should be dismissed. Lamognon, the eloquent notable, a stanch man with connections and even ideas, Parlement president yet intent on reforming Parlement, were not he the right keeper? So, for one, thinks busy Boson and at dinner table, rounds the same into the controller's ear, who always, in the intervals of landlord duties, listens to him as with charmed look but answers nothing positive. Alas, what to answer? The force of private intrigue, and then also the force of public opinion, grows so dangerous, confused. Philosophedom sneers aloud, as if its necker already triumphed. The gaping populace gapes over woodcuts or copper cuts, where, for example, a rustic is represented convoking the poultry of his barnyard, with this opening address. Dear animals, I have assembled you to advise me what sauce I should dress you with, to which a cock responding, We don't want to be eaten, is checked by, you Wander from the point, vous vous écartez de la question, laughter and logic, ballad-singer, pamphleteer epigram and caricature, what wind of public opinion is this, as if the cave of the winds were bursting loose. At nightfall, President Lamoignon steals over to the controllers, finds him walking with large strides in his chamber like one out of himself. With rapid confused speech, the controller begs Monsieur de Lamognon to give him an advice. Lamagnon candidly answers that, Except in regard to his own anticipated keepership, unless that would prove remedial, he really cannot take upon him to advise. On the Monday after Easter, the ninth of April, seventeen eighty-seven, a date one rejoices to verify, for nothing can excel the indolent falsehood of these histoires and memoirs. On the Monday after Easter, as I Bosanfall was riding towards Romainville to the Marshal de Segur's, I met a friend on the boulevards who told me that Monsieur de Calonne was out. A little further on came Monsieur the Duc d'Orléans, dashing towards me, head to the wind, trotting a l'Anglaise, and confirmed the news. It is true news. Treacherous Garde des Sceaux Miremenil is gone, and Lamagnon is appointed in his room, but appointed for his own profit only, not for the Controller's. Next day, the Controller also has had to move. A little longer he may linger near, be seen among the money changers, and even, working in the Controller's office, where much lies unfinished, but neither will that hold. Too strong blows and beats this tempest of public opinion, of private intrigue, as from the cave of all the winds, and blows him, higher authority giving sign, out of Paris and France, over the horizon, into invisibility, or utter darkness. Such destiny the magic of genius could not forever avert. Ungrateful Boeuf did he not miraculously rain gold men on you? So that as a courtier said, All the world held out its hand, and I held out my hat, for a time. Himself is poor. penniless, had not a financier's widow in Lorraine, offered him, though he was turned of fifty, her hand and the rich purse it held. Dim henceforth shall be his activity, though unwearied. Letters to the king, appeals, prognostications, pamphlets, from London, written with the old suasive facility, which, however, do not persuade. Luckily his widow's purse fails not. Once in a year or two, some shadow of him shall be seen hovering on the northern border, seeking election as national deputy, but be sternly beckoned away. Dimmer, then, far born over utmost European lands, in uncertain twilight of diplomacy, he shall hover, intriguing for exiled princes, and have adventures, be overset into the Rhine-stream and half-drowned, nevertheless save his papers dry, unwearied, but in vain. In France he works miracles no more, shall hardly return thither to find a grave." Farewell, thou facile, sanguine controller-general, with thy light rash hand, thy suasive mouth of gold. Worse men there have been, and better. But to thee also was allotted a task of raising the wind, and the winds, and thou hast done it. But now, while ex-controller Callon flies storm-driven over the horizon, in this singular way, what has become of the controller-ship? It hangs vacant, one may say, extinct like the moon in her vacant interlunar cave two preliminary shadows poor m foucault poor m Villedoil, do hold in quick succession some simulacrum of it as the new moon will sometimes shine out with a dim preliminary old one in her arms be patient ye notables an actual new controller is certain and even ready were the indispensable manoeuvres but gone through long-headed Lamignon, with home secretary breteuil and foreign secretary Montmorin, have exchanged looks let these three once meet and speak who is it that is strong in the queen's favor and the Abbé de Ramonds, that is a man of great capacity, or at least that has struggled these fifty years to have it thought great, now in the clergy's name demanding to have Protestant death penalties put in execution, no flaunting it in the Earl de Boeuf, as the gayest man-pleaser and woman-pleaser, gleaning even a good word from philosophedom and your Voltaire's and d'Alembert's, with a party ready-made for him in the notables, Lomenie de Brienne, Archbishop of Toulouse, answer all the three, with the clearest instantaneous concord and rush off to propose him to the king, in such haste, says Beuzenval, that M. de Lamognon had to borrow a simar, seemingly some kind of cloth apparatus necessary for that. Lomini Brienne, who had all his life felt a kind of predestination for the highest offices, has now therefore obtained them. He presides over the finances. He shall have the title of prime minister itself, and the effort of his long life be realized, unhappy only that it took such talent and industry to gain the place, that to qualify for it hardly any talent or industry was left disposable looking now into his inner man what qualification he may have Lomini beholds not without astonishment next to nothing but vacuity and possibility principles or methods acquirement outward or inward for his very body is wasted by hard tear and wear he finds none not so much as a plan even an unwise one lucky in these circumstances that Calon has had a plan Calon's plan was gathered from Turgos and Neckers by compilation, shall become Lomenie's by adoption. Not in vain has Lomenie studied the working of the British Constitution, for he professes to have some Anglomania of a sort. Why, in that free country, does one minister, driven out by Parliament, vanish from his King's presence, and another enter, borne in by Parliament? Surely not for mere change, which is ever wasteful, but that all men may have share of what is going and so the strife of freedom indefinitely prolong itself, and no harm be done. The notables, mollified by Easter festivities, by the sacrifice of Calonne, are not in the worst humor. Already his majesty, while the interlunar shadows were in office, had held session of notables, and from his throne delivered promissory conciliatory eloquence. The queen stood waiting at a window, till his carriage came back, and monsieur from afar clapped hands to her, in sign that all was well. It has had the best effect, if such do but last. Leading notables, meanwhile, can be caressed. Brienne's new gloss, L'Amonion's long head, will profit somewhat. Conciliatory eloquence shall not be wanting. On the whole, however, is it not undeniable that this of ousting Kellon and adopting the plans of Kellon is a measure which, to produce its best effect, should be looked at from a certain distance, cursorily, not dwelt on with minute near scrutiny, in a word, that no service the notables could now do were so obliging as, in some handsome manner, to take themselves away. Their six propositions, about provisional assemblies, suppression of corvees, and such like, can be accepted without criticism. The subvention on land tax, and much else, one must glide hastily over, safe nowhere but in flourishes of conciliatory eloquence, till at length, on this 25th of May, year 1787, in solemn final session there bursts forth what we can call an explosion of eloquence, King, Lomenie, Lamagnon, and Retinue taking up the successive strain, in harangues to the number of ten, besides His Majesties, which last the livelong day, whereby, as in a kind of choral anthem, or bravure-appeal, of thanks, praises, promises, the notables are, so to speak, organed out, and dismissed to their respective places of abode. They had sat and talked some nine weeks. They were the first notable since Richelieu's, In the year sixteen twenty six by some historians sitting much at their ease in the safe distance Loménie has been blamed for this dismissal of his notables nevertheless it was clearly time there are things as we said which should not be dwelt on with minute close scrutiny over hot coals you cannot glide too fast in these seven bureaus where no work could be done unless talk were work the questionablest matters were coming up lafayette for example in monsignor d'artois's bureau took upon him to set forth more than one deprecatory oration about lettres de cachet, liberty of the subject, agio, and such like, which Monsignor, endeavoring to repress, was answered that a notable being summoned to speak his opinion must speak it. Thus, too, His Grace, the Archbishop of Aix, perorating once, with a plaintive pulpit tone, in these words, Tithe, that free-will offering of the piety of Christians. Tithe, interrupted Duc La roche with the cold business manner he has learned from the English, that freewill offering of the piety of Christians on which there are now forty thousand lawsuits in this realm. Nay, Lafayette, bound to speak his opinion, went the length one day of proposing to convoke a national assembly. You demand States General? asked Monsignor, with an air of minatory surprise. Yes, Monsignor, and even better than that. Write it, said Monsignor to the clerks. Written accordingly it is, and, what is more, will be acted by and by. End of section 15